you for the word that you put in his heart. And we believe, Lord, again, that you are a God who speaks words of transformation. So, Lord, we pray that you may not only inform us, but transform us by your word. And we, Lord, just pray for Daniel that you would give him that confidence. Lord, make him your channel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can you hear me on this? Yep. Um, I actually want to start by reading something I was, it was in my, one of my daily readings. Um, and it's nothing to do with what I'm preaching on today, but I thought it was so good that I couldn't not share it. And this is from Oswald Chambers, and I'll just read it, really. Uh, it's not the whole thing, it's part. It says, the nature of sin is not immorality and wrongdoing, but the nature of self-realization, which leads us to say, I am my own God. When our Lord faced either people with all the forces of evil in them, or the people who were clean living, moral and upright, he paid no attention to the moral degradation of one, nor the attention to the moral attainment of the other. It is through the cross of Christ that God redeemed the entire human race from the possibility of damnation through the hereditary, hereditary of sin. God nowhere holds a person responsible for having the hereditary of sin, but does not condemn anyone because of it. Condemnation comes when I realise that Jesus Christ came to deliver me from this hereditary heredity of sin, and yet I refuse to let him do so. So I just thought it's such an encouraging word that God, you know, he's given us every opportunity to know him. Um, so, oh, there's my bookmark. Oh, um, has anyone got a newsletter with them? Has anyone, did you pick up a newsletter? If you do, I want you to hide it away because you're not allowed to look at it. Because I've got a little quiz for you. If this works. Is it even on? I want to turn it on. There you go. That's the first step. On. Wicked. Excellent. So, we have... Um, a strap line on our newsletter that is part of our, I don't know if we call it our mission statement, our vision statement, our, our goals, our aims, or, but it's kind of, it encapsulates who we are as a church. And so it's a little quiz. Um, it says, a church what? Family. Okay, good. So we are a church family sending, what's, pardon? No, no. Communities on Mission to make pottery, no. Um, <laughs> coffee, no. Disciples, thanks, Cos. Cos doesn't even come here all the time, you know. It's good to see you, Cos. So we are a church family sending communities on mission to make disciples. And this is our strap line. Because what we're talking about, there's three dimensions to that. There's the what, the why, and the who. And recently, John talked about, at the beginning of, of September, he talked about two sermons, talking about building up and sending out. And in this, what it encapsulates is the building up, which is the what. That's what we do. We build up. And why do we do it? We do it to send out. Yeah? Is that right? Have I got it wrong? No? Good. Just checking. Uh, it's always good when you refer to somebody else's sermon. Even better when you get it right. Um, so we've got the what, 
and we got the why, but the question is the who. Who does this? And the answer is a church family. And that's the who. And so what today I want to talk about is that church family, because I really believe, and God put this on my heart the other week, is that the church is an outworking of the purpose of God. Now, that does not mean that every church is an outworking of the purpose of God, but the church, when we look at it, the body of Christ, is part of the outworking of his purpose. And so when we think about church, we're not thinking about an organization, we're not thinking about structure, but we're thinking about this is the purpose of Christ on the earth. Not the whole thing, but it's part of it. And so when we think about the church, we can't dismiss it as irrelevant if we follow God. We must receive it as part of his purpose. And so we're going to think about a church family. And the reason we need to do this is because identity is key. Identity defines the reality in which we live. And we have a lot of conversation in our society at the moment about identity. What do you identify as? Because ultimately, what you identify as determines how you act. It says in the scriptures that as a man thinks, so he is. And so if you think you are a chicken, you will begin to behave like a chicken. Now, it doesn't mean you are a chicken, but it will, it will change how you react, how you relate to the things around you. And so as part of our identity, the question is, do you see yourself as a church, part of that church family? When we think about a church family, or when we think about family generally, I don't know what comes to mind, your mind. I don't know if that's got good connotations, bad connotations. Um, but when we think about family normally, what we think about is a group that is bonded by, first of all, normally blood. You know, that we have children and we know who we are related to by blood. And then also by marriage, that we join people into our family through the covenant of marriage. And I thought about this famous saying, it says, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And maybe you feel that way sometimes that you're stuck with certain people. You thought, well, I never chose that. Um, but you're stuck with them and you can't change that. Even if you never see them again, they're still your family. Um, but there's another saying that I was thinking of, and it says, blood is thicker than water. And that means that actually sometimes when it really boils down to it, you stick by your family, even when you probably shouldn't, um, even when they don't deserve it. And there's a bond that is created through blood, through family, that is really tight. But when we think about the church family, what do we think about? Because it's not about a, a kind of a genetic connection. And John, uh, in his gospel, that's what I was looking for, makes it very clear. He says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So our connection as a church family is not based on where we were born. And, and we look around, and there are many different nationalities, races, we come from different countries, and there's diversity, so it's not based on where we were born. And nor is it based on blood. So I am related to a couple of people here by blood. I'm related to John by blood, if you didn't know. 
actually, that's probably in this room, that's probably all there is. Now, so, but, so I'm not related to the rest of you by blood, so that's not how we are made family. And so it's not based on the will of the flesh of man. Um, the other person I'm related to in this room by will is Louisa. So by will, I chose to marry, and because of that, I got some other people along with that. <laughs> but we're not, we're not forcing that kind of covenantal relationship, the will of, we're not forcing people into a family in that way when we think about that. But the church of God is formed by our common adoption by God the Father. And we are children of God. And that's by his will alone. We are one as a family because we have the same father. It's interesting that in the past, um, we don't really do it very much now, um, but people used to call, within a church, they used to call each other brother and sister. Oh, you know, brother Dan, nice to meet you, brother Dan, and, and sister Esme. Or, um, and there used to be that kind of language. Now, to be honest, there's part of culture now that, particularly men, we call each other bro, right, bro? And even though we're not related in any way, and that, that's culture. But in the church culture, they had this kind of calling each other brother, sister. It says a lot in the scriptures, brethren, brethren. Um, and so much so that the early, like in the early church, the Romans and those around them actually thought that this was one messed up, incestuous group, that they're all kind of brothers and sisters interrelated and they thought it was a bit weird. Um, but what well, they didn't realize that the oneness didn't come from the flesh, but it came from the spirit. And so they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are joined by that spiritual uh, connection. And this is why, I don't know if you, hopefully you've experienced this, that you can go anywhere in the world. And I do this, I go to places in the world and have this connection with people, even though I haven't got a clue what they're saying but there's something that resonates from within us that our f we have the same father. Another thing that John mentioned the other week was the fellowship. And the, the original name of our church was Eltham Green Fellowship. And we talked about that kind of, where's that word come from? And the, the word come from a group of people on a common purpose. So we talked about Fellowship of the Rings, uh, in Lord of the Rings, and that idea that it's a group on a journey with a common goal, a common purpose. And we come together because we have the same father but with the same goal. And that goal, now particularly for our churches, we're saying to build up and send out. That is our goal, our common goal. And so we need to think about when we come together, we have an identity, but we also have a purpose But what we need to realise is that the strength of a family is really important. Because what can happen is we can get a weakened family. And when we think about identity and we think about purpose, as these get lost, our family gets weaker and weaker. And I believe part of the work of the enemy is to weaken the church family. Because... When a family is strong, when a family is unified, and all these things that are good about a family, when they're in place, it can accomplish much. But when it's weakened, it can't accomplish its purpose. 
And it's interesting, I've been reading uh, the book of 1 Corinthians at the moment, and they are one messed up bunch of people. They are, they are, there's divisions, there's infighting, they're suing each other, there's court cases amongst them. Imagine like sitting here and you've got a court case against somebody who's sitting on the opposite end. Maybe you'd sit really far away from them. And it's, they're messed up. There's sexual immorality going on amongst them. Again, imagine that, that we're sitting here and there's all basically dodgy stuff going on. And not only dodgy stuff, he, Paul says in this book that this is stuff that the world don't even do. It's so messed up. And that's going on within the church family. And it's like, how can you go forward as a church family when all that's going on? And it's really interesting that he actually calls it shameful. He says the way that you are, the way that you're behaving, the, the way you act towards each other is shameful. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And now that's like, whoa, Paul, that's pretty strong language. But it's interesting that through the Spirit of God, I believe Paul wrote to the church emphasizing how important this family is to God. It's not just us. Now, now you could say, John and I, we come and we share these kind of messages because we've got a vested interest, you know, in filling the seats, in getting the collection round, and all these kind of things, that we could have a vested interest in these things. But we don't do it because of our need, our desire, because God has purposed this. It is God's will for his church to be strong. And Paul writes this. He says, do you you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now when he's talking about you here, he's talking at plural. So if you're in America in the south, you say y'all. You know, if y'all, that means you all for the, for the English if you all, you all are God's temple. So collectively, we are God's temple. And he says, if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy you. Now again, you can take that and go, whoa, that's pretty strong. But God loves the church so much. He's like, if your intention is to destroy my church, my intention will be to, to destroy you and there can only be one winner in that outcome. God is jealous for his church because they are the bride of Christ. And I can say that as well, that if you came against my bride, you got me to deal with. And that's not a threat or anything, but, you know, but that's God's heart. He's like, this is my bride. If you come against my bride, you've got to face me. So, we need, what we need to do is a bit of a, an ID check. Now, you all look too old to have done this in a while. But, you know, if you go, go to a bar or something like that, you need to have your ID out. And so we're going to do an ID check. And the question for your ID is, well, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who, who is your father? What family are you part of? Are you part of the family of God? Are you part of this family? Because when we go back to the original question, we're saying we are a church family. Do
Do you identify yourself as part of that family? Because back in John it said, to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave you the right to become children of God. And if anyone is here today and they've not taken that opportunity, the, option, the opportunity is right here, right now, to say, God, I don't feel part of the family. I don't think I am part of your family. I don't see you as my father. Right now, you can simply pray, God, I believe in you. And I believe you're the Lord of all and I want to be your child. In some respects, it's as simple as that. We sometimes make these things too complicated, but if you say that and believe it in your heart, it's not just words, but it's a belief in our heart, then go and follow God. If you believe today that God is your father, then I want you to declare, I am a child of God. So if I say to you, who's your Who's your daddy? Who's your father? I'm a child of God. Can you say that this morning? I'm a child of God. Because we need to be clear about our identity. We need to be clear who our father is. We need to be clear that we're part of the family because if we're not part of the, f- the family, then the rest of it doesn't apply to us. So this is where we need to be clear in our thinking. Well, if I'm part of this, then this applies to me. The thing is, if we are part of the family, if God is our father, then that means that the people around us are our brothers and sisters. Now look around you. Have a look. These are your brothers and sisters. I want to turn to somebody and say, you are my brother. I want to turn to someone and say, you are my sister. Try and get the right gender. (laughs) But you are my sister. When church meets, it should be a bit like a family reunion. So hopefully we've made it clear about your identity. But when we think about this, we also then think about, well, okay, so what does it mean to be part of God's family? Because you can say, well, okay, I'm a member of this family. So what? What does that actually mean? What are the implications of that? And there are four points I want to look at that just kind of go through this and help us Uh, identify what I believe is what it means to be part of this family. The first is a godly family loves each other. Now, it says in the book of Corinthians, what's what's the most famous chapter in the book of Corinthians? 13. If you've been to a wedding or anything like that, you've heard it. I know it was read by Johnny the other day at a funeral. But it's famous. And if you think about the context that I was describing about the church in Corinth, it was an absolute mess. And I believe Paul emphasized this, but he said, because whatever else we do, if we don't have love, we have nothing. Love has to be the bedrock of everything we do. Because if we don't have love, we might as well be strangers. It says, 
or John, uh, Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And believers should be known by their love. And maybe when you looked around at your brothers and sisters, you saw some and you thought, oh, I love you. And maybe you saw others and thought, oh, you're a pain. Because sometimes families like that. You know, I have kids. Sometimes I look at them and go, oh, aren't they sweet? That's normally when they're asleep. Um, but, you know, you think, oh, I love them so much. And at other times, I'm like, I just want to clip you around the ear. But they're my family. And God has called me to love them. And God has called us to love one another. And love is a choice. It says in chapter 13 of Corinthians, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It, does, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Love is a choice. You won't always feel like loving people. But God is calling us to do so nevertheless. And the thing we must do is we must learn to choose the person over the thing. Because the thing will pass away. The event, the prophecy, you know, these things will pass away. Our disagreement, this thing will pass away. What endures? And that's the person. And that's the relationship. And I firmly believe that at the heart of how we relate to one another, our relationship is the things we need to guard and cherish. Because if, if you get your own way but you lose relationship, you haven't won. You've lost. Because you can gain the whole world, but lose your own soul. Love never ends. We never get to the point where we go, you know what, I've loved that person enough. I've finished that, I've done that, tick that box and move on. Love never ends, it's ongoing, it persists and keeps on going. And that's how we need to be. We are called to love the family of God. Because you know what? You can't love the bride and not the bridegroom. No, wrong way around. You cannot love the bridegroom and not the bride. Glad you're paying attention. If you came to me and said, Daniel, I really like you, but I don't like your wife. You know what? We're not going to get on very well. Now, I can understand why people do not always like the church. Because the church does things wrong. The church is sometimes a bad reflection of Christ. But we need to choose to love the church and find a place in that where we can love the church. When we're part of a family, there are also times when we have to do things that we don't want. When we have to love people when we don't feel like it. You know, there's part, the mantra, in a sense, of the world 
it says, look out for number one. But that's not the mantra of the church. Jesus said, oh, no, he didn't. There was supposed to be a slide there. But Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If we're looking for the greatest thing, it's to lay down our life for one another. So moving on, we do say a godly family, this is point two, a godly family meets together. So first of all, I want to congratulate you on making it here today. Well done. You can applaud. But it's really important that a family meets together. And maybe you made it today, um, but sometimes we get in the habit of not making it. And maybe today for you is a, is a good one where you made it. Um, maybe there are people here or not here because they've got into this habit of not making it. And it says in Hebrews, let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because some people had decided, you know what, we don't really need to meet together. I'll choose not to. I'll pick and choose. You know, I've got other things to do. And, and really this defeats the object of family because part of the, the purpose of being family is being together. As I said before, if you don't do that, you might as well be strangers. And we gather together, and the purpose of the gathering, it says, is to build up, to encourage one another, to make us stronger together. And actually, we are stronger together than we are alone. And then if we don't gather together, what this begins to do is diminish connection. And maybe you've got someone in your own family and you just don't see them for whatever reason and it diminishes the connection you have with them. And there are family members maybe that you feel a lot closer to and others you don't feel very close to, even to the point that sometimes you, don't, you forget about them. Now, I know that my brother, he lives in South Africa, so it's very hard to see him. So in order to keep that connection, I, I, we Skype and we, or whatever, we text and all these kind of things because we believe it's important to keep that bond and that connection because I don't want, that, I don't want to lose that. I don't want to get to the point where, you know, we're strangers. And so we have to think that if we identify ourselves as part of this family, then we need to come together. Now, within EGCC, Elton Green Community Church, if you didn't know that's where you are, there are times when we meet together as family. Key times. Now, today, this morning is a key time. We meet together every Sunday morning. We meet at 10 for refreshments so we can chat, because that's nice. And then we have at 10.30, we have times of worship, ministry of the word. And we meet together. We meet in community groups throughout the week. So we don't all meet together in one group, but we have an expectation that the family will meet and that being a part of this family means that you meet in a group. We have a monthly meeting, prayer meeting, that is tonight. This wasn't time particularly for that, but it's tonight. And what John has encouraged us again and again and again is that when we, I want, we want you to make that a priority. This is when the family comes together and prays. Now, there are lots of other times we meet so we, we talked about this this morning. We meet every Sunday night to pray. 
But we're saying, no, we want one a month where we're saying this is where the family comes together. We meet other times to pray, to meet. There are different things, but there are key times when we say, as a family, this is when we meet. I realise, though, that it's not always possible. It's not always possible to meet. But the question is, has that become the exception or has it become the habit? Now, I'm looking around and I see many people who are faithfully here every week. But what we want to guard against is that these things that suddenly we go, oh, you know, I'll just do this instead, that we miss the habit. And if we miss this becomes a habit, then what will begin to happen is you'll become disconnected with the family. It doesn't mean you're not family, but you won't be part of what's going on here. And often, I know... Um, if you've ever been away for a few weeks, then you suddenly feel like, oh, what's been going on? You come back and say, oh, what's been going on? What's happened? And everyone goes, nothing much. Because it's just by not being there, you feel like you've missed out on so much. But the truth is, it's just gone on as normal, normally. But you can suddenly quickly feel disconnected and not part of what God is doing here. So meeting together helps fulfill the purposes of God. And this is part of the next point, that a godly family is united. And again, we've heard so many sermons on this, I'll try not to go into it too much, but Paul talks about in Corinthians that the church is like a body. And the body works well when it's working in unison. And there are three different things I was thinking about. Now, um, I think yesterday I bit my tongue my teeth and my tongue were not working in unison together. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They got a bit confused somewhere along the line. But the trouble is now, I actually can feel it that when I'm trying to talk, it feels like my tongue's like twice as big. Now, it's probably like a little bit, little bit big, but just a little change can impact how you behave, how you feel. And so with the teeth and the tongue, teeth and the tongue, we're not working well together, then it impacts the speech. Interestingly, yesterday again, I was, I was running yesterday morning, and this is an example of when things did work well together, because there came a point where my legs no longer wanted to run. They were saying, stop, Daniel, stop, just walk. It's so much easier and nicer for you. But my mind was saying, no, keep going. And my leg was telling, no, sorry, my mind was telling my legs to go because to finish the race. And sometimes that's where the body works well together, that when one part is struggling, the other part encourages and says, keep going, you can do this. I was thinking about another time, and I've got a football to help illustrate this. Do I pass it over? Thank you. Once I was warming up as part of the football team. This is when I was younger and played football. And we were warming up, we were kicking the ball. And suddenly I just did a pass and a muscle about here just went twang. And I fell on the floor. I would fall on the floor, but I might hurt myself. And so and I, and everyone found it hilarious and bundled me. Um, and I was like lying there going, ah, oh, I'm really in pain. Um, and so after a while I was like, oh man, that really hurt. So... Because of that, they made me a sub. I wasn't a sub. But then I was warming up on the sideline. I'm going, I'm fine. I was still dressed, running around, kind of just, you know, dribbling the ball, kicking the ball around. And then someone said, pass it. 
And so this was my right leg. I went to pass it and fell on the floor again. Just collapsed in a heap, which is really weird. I won't go over there. And then it's interesting that I still wanted to play. I was so determined. I still wanted to play. And I don't think I made it on that day. But the next game, I was like, I can still play. I'll just use my other leg. And actually, my left leg got a lot better at football through this. But the, the point was, my, my, my mind was willing. My foot was able. But there was another part of me that was like, hold your horses, we're not doing this. It was not working properly. And because of this, my mind and my foot had to come into alignment with the reality of another part of my body. And so we've got examples of things that aren't working well together. We've got an example of where things can work well and encourage one another. And we've got an example of where things need to change sometimes to accommodate the reality that exists. The body has to be united. Otherwise, it will inevitably fail. If you've got one leg that wants to go one way and one leg that wants to go the other way, it's not going to end very well for you. And Jesus said this, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If we have a church that is at cross purposes, at least we'll be wasting our time. You know, it's like where you put something out and you go away and someone else puts it away. You know, you're just wasting your time. At worst, the church will crumble. We can't be at cross purposes. And it's interesting to think about, how did you respond to John's sermon? Where John said, well, this is what we're about. Build up, send out. How did you respond? Because what we're saying is, if this is our purpose, we need to be part of that. And we all have a part to play in that. Which kind of leads on to the fourth point, A godly family serves each other. Now, this is where the uh, PowerPoint gets really good. I want you to imagine you're sailing along a river on a boat, paddling along. I did some whitewater rapids once. Well, they were kind of a bit lame, but they were were whitewater rapids um, in, in Wales. And we went, and, and there are two key principles that we had while we were paddling. Is one is that everyone has to paddle. And the other is that everyone has to paddle in the same direction. Because imagine, hello, there we go. Imagine if somebody stopped paddling. Imagine if someone was like, well, this is nice, I love a day on the river, put their head back, feet up, and just stop paddling. It means that other people have to work harder. What about if somebody decided, I'm going to go the other way? Now, that's not going to really help you either, because not only are you working hard, even harder still. In In a family, there's an expectation that everyone contributes. But what this looks like may differ. Now, I thought of my boys... Now, most of you know my, my boys. If, I think Samuel was in a bad mood in this photo. 
but it was one of the most recent ones I could find. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you've seen them grow. Now, some of you were around when Joshua was born. That was 11 years ago. And, and so they've grown throughout that time. Now, but what they all have in common is they all started out as babies. Now, when they were babies, they were very cute, but they were absolutely unhelpful. They were lazy. They were a real drain on us, you know? But you know what? That was okay, because they were babies. But there was an expectation that they would grow up. And the interesting thing is that as they grow and as they're still growing, and if you're parents, you, you realize this as well, that as they grow, they become capable of more things. They become more independent. So Joshua now is, is more independent, but he's able to be more responsible. So I can say, oh, can you go to the shop and buy this, for, for example? Maybe he'll get the right thing. Maybe I'll get my change back. Who knows? Um, but he can also, he can wash up. He can make me tea. This is, this is getting good for me. Um, it's like really important stuff. You know, Zachary, he, he's really willing to clear the table. He'll, he'll clear the table after dinner. And to be honest, if I'm doing anything, Samuel wants to help. If I'm banging something, sawing something, digging something, he's like, can I do this? He wants to get his spade, his hammer. And, you know, to be honest, he's not helpful, generally. <laughs> but he's willing and he wants to part. Now, what I actually have to realise is if I nurture this correctly, in a few years' time, this might be helpful, particularly as I get older. Um, and so they get into this point of mature, coming into maturity and growing but the expectation is that the more they grow, the more they will contribute. Now, I'm not going to any of my children and saying, right, you've got to pay your way. You know, I'm not expecting them to, like, contribute money at the moment. But there will be a day, if they're still with me at that point, when they, then that is an expectation. And so the expectation, how people contribute, will change as they grow. And so I believe that the Bible tells us that in every part of the family, every part of the body has a role, has a contribution that needs to be outworked. And if it doesn't, the family suffers. And so Jesus was our example on this. And you can look at many things, but some of the key things that stand out was, for example, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He humbled himself to show that he could serve others. But ultimately, where Jesus died on the cross, that he gave himself for others. It says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the example that Jesus is giving us as a church. Not to be served, but to serve, and to give our lives as a ransom for many. And you may have heard some sermons about this in the past, but there is a danger in the church in this day that we come to church with a consumer mindset. That we come and it's about the service, not as in the, the meeting, but as in what kind of service do I get? So, you know, because if you go into a restaurant and you don't get your food quickly, you complain. 
If you go out for a cup of tea and you don't get your tea quickly and you complain, you're treating that as a service. There's an expectation of what you should receive. Even as you come and you hear the message, you know, there's an, there can be an expectation, well, you should do this for me. As my kids go to group, well, you should do this for my kids. And we can come to church with that expectation that it is about me. It is about what I receive and all of this is set up for me. And if it doesn't suit me, then I've got a problem with it. We come and we expect to receive, but are we willing to contribute? Now, it's interesting. We live, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, you don't get something for nothing. Have you heard that phrase? The trouble is, we actually live in a society where you can get quite a lot for nothing. And this changed really over the past 20 years. If, now, I listen to Spotify. I listen to Spotify, the free version. That means I get all that music for free. I do get a few adverts that I just blank out. Um, but I get my music for free. I play a video game that is on my iPad, and it's free. Now, their hope is that you buy stuff. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to buy stuff but I've got this free game. Um, did you know that you can go into certain coffee shops and you can get free coffees? Now, maybe you didn't know that, but if you smile in the right way or ask, there are some you have to go, if you ask, they'll give you it. I don't know about fresh ground. But, <laughs> but the truth is, in our society, there's actually an expectation that I can get a lot for free. And actually, when people say you have to pay for that, we're like, I have to pay for it? Not realizing, like, that actually that, that takes someone's time and investment. And we, yeah. But the trouble is that this mindset can creep into the church where we come and we expect to get something for nothing. But the reality is that it, we are part of a family. And family exists in a way that involves contribution from every part. As I said, that contribution will be different from different people, but it involves some contribution from all of us. Now, one of the things that, to be honest, I'll often hear is, I'm really busy. Does anyone feel busy? Yeah? We learn, if you work in an office, you learn, that if anyone ever says to you, are you busy? You don't say no, okay? Because if you say no, they'll give you more work. Um, but there's a whole environment around busyness. And it's interesting that the whole invention of technology was to make life easier. But actually, our lives just become fuller and fuller and fuller. Um, and the truth is, we are busy. Life is busy. We're in a, we live in a really part of a big city. And it's hectic. Because if you went and lived in the country, you would notice life slowed down. Now, I lived in Colorado for a year. And I lived up on a mountain. It was slow. You know, it was anything you did was with purpose. And so what that meant was there was a lot more time to relax, a lot more time to just, you know, shoot the breeze. And I actually realized how much it affected my health and well-being. But I'm like, I slowed down. And it was really good. But we're not in that situation. We live here. We live in Eltham, in London. It's busy and lives are busy. There is lots of things always going on, whether that's work, whether that's our hobbies, whether that's family, whether that's ministry, there's a lot going on. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But the question is, how does that fit in 
with church family? Where does that fit into these things? I believe that Jesus was giving us an example that he made a priority out of loving others. And this required sacrifice as well. It wasn't just easy, it required sacrifice. And perhaps we can get into this place where we only do things that suit us. So if we can fit, you know, if I can fit it in, as long as it doesn't contradict or the thing I want to do, as long as I can still do that, then it's okay. And it becomes about convenience rather than anything else. And I believe that the enemy actually wants to make us, keep us occupied, busy, so that we have no space to serve God and to do the things he wants and he confuses our priorities that we place our priority in the thing that is temporal rather than the thing that is eternal and I realise for myself I'm constantly challenging myself on this because I'm like why am I doing this? Why is this so important? Why is it taking so much of my time or energy? We have to challenge our thinking because our thinking is so often really out of skew with God's And that's a challenge because it, it means going against what this world is doing. But I believe, as I say, if the enemy is just wanting to get you caught in the world system, you know, in materialism, in ownership. I'll say this, one of the biggest things I hear is people say, I need to own a house. And that traps you. The goal can trap you. Because it's a really hard thing to do. So you have, because if I do that, that means I have to work so much more. Because to own a house now, you have to earn a lot of money. It's a reality. But where, where in Scripture does it say that you have to own a house? I'm not saying that owning a house is a bad thing or a wrong thing or anything like that. But the danger is you realise that if you get caught up in a goal that was Margaret Thatcher's and not God's, then you can get trapped. Because, you know, God can do other things for you. God can give you a house, you know? If that's what he wants to do. I don't know why I felt it's talking that, but there you go. The other thing that God put on my heart is that, you know, Scripture says that, that in Christ we are brought into a Sabbath rest. Now, previously, people often think about Sabbath, like it's our day when we don't do anything. It's earmarked for God. But the point of being brought into the Sabbath rest is that that means our whole life is earmarked for God, but is also done out of a place of rest. And so that if we are in a position where we're saying, I do not have enough time to fulfill the thing that God is asking of me, that means that our priorities are not good. We've we're putting stuff in that we shouldn't be doing because God would never ask you to work outside of that rest. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. I think Christians sometimes can balk at the idea of working hard. And I loved this uh, T.G. Jake's sermon where he says, we need to get our grind on. You know, we need to work hard. Christians should work hard, but they do it out of rest. I remember reading one person's testimony when they got filled with the Spirit, it said, I worked harder than I'd ever worked before, but I was at much more peace than I ever had been before. And so we're actually operating out of rest. 
And we need to have these right priorities. And one thing I hear, and it's not that it's a bad thing, but I just think it's an incorrect thing, that we say, you know, well, God's my priority. And then we can list off a number of things that then come second, then come third, then come fourth, then come fifth. But the reality is that what it should be is God is my priority and then everything, or then nothing, however which way you want to look at it. Because the truth is, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things shall be added unto you. When we say putting God first, what we're talking about is putting our relationship with God as the priority in our life. Because then if we have our relationship with God right, our thinking right, our attitudes right, our love right, then the way we interact with our family will be right. The time we give to our family, the time we give to our work, the time we give to the church. All of those things will cascade out of that and they will be right. Because when we say put God first, it doesn't mean put church first because church isn't always necessarily God when we talk about the institution. But it doesn't exclude church because God defines how you relate to all other things. And there are seasons, there are times I know when I will have to sacrifice other things for the sake of the church family. And that's here and that's globally. So I'm going to India every year. Now you could say, well, why do you do that? Why do you not go on holiday with your family? Who's looking after your family when you go? That's quite irresponsible, Daniel. How long are you going to do this for? Kind of, you know, you need to focus. But the truth is that if you fulfill the purpose of God for your life, if you're obedient to the call of God in your life, then God takes care of the rest. Because you're coming into a paradigm that is God's kingdom and not your own. A way of thinking that is God's thinking and not your own. And God says that he will recompense you for the things that you you sacrifice. God cares for my family more than I do. He's not going to be like, oh, thanks for serving me and I just let them go. No, he's got his hand on those things. So if you're obedient to the call of God and the thing that he's asking you to do in the church family, God will supply your need. And so we need to serve as led by the Holy Spirit. And and what this means is it's not a bright light that suddenly appears to you and say, you need to do the teas and coffees. You know, it, it can come like that. Maybe you have a revelation. I remember... When was it? Probably five years ago now when uh, we were looking for a youth leader and I, I went up to the youth room and I got down on my knees and I said, God, we need a youth leader. Can you supply someone? And God said, it's you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lord. And so I did it. I, I didn't have a call to youth ministry. I'm not, I don't, that's not what I feel to do in my life. I, don't, I, lo- I love doing it. I love being with the kids. And the youth. But that's not what I felt called to do. What God did was said, here is a need, and I'm going to get you to f- meet that need. And sometimes that's all it is. It's, it's a leading, it's a sense, it's a recognition where, you know, if you're there and you see a need, you don't need to wait for the, the bright light and the, the booming voice to tell you to meet that need because God's already told you to love the church. He's already told you to do it. And so if you're able to meet that need, then meet that need. 
Now, it might not be the thing that you feel called to do, but we can get so caught up in calling that we miss the need that's right in front of us. If one of my kids says, Dad, I'm really not called to wash up, There might be a clip around the ear for that. But you know, that's, it's not about a calling, it's about a need. And it's like, I don't care what you're called to, this is what needs doing right now. And sometimes we can miss the strengthening of the church because we're looking for something more. And it's interesting that, I'll be honest with you, a few, what was it, about six months ago, I, I preached a sermon that maybe was very similar to this, but just with some different language. And it was entitled, All Hands on Deck. I don't know if you remember that. How did you respond? Because, you know, if a captain on a ship shouts, All Hands on Deck, well, I'm not really called to bailing, <laughs> bailing water off the ship. I'm not really called to rigging masts or... That's about where my ship knowledge ends. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I will, I'll, like, if you've got kids, you know, it's like, come and do this. I'll do it. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there, which means about half hour later. It's like, well, no, because some things need doing now. I wonder how we responded because I believe God is taking us into a season where we need this. We are in it. To a, we are in a season where the church family needs to be family in the way God intended. I believe that God is taking us into times of change as a church. I don't know what they are, but they are times of change. And, and even as John spoke about sending out, if we keep sending people out and no one then steps up, then we're in trouble. And so we need to be looking at how we step up. I always think about the, the parable of the talents where one is given three, another two, and another one. And the, one, the, the first two invest and they make more. And the one who had one does nothing and it's taken away from him. And maybe we can be in this place where we say, I've only got one. I haven't got much. I can't do much. But maybe your little is the thing that makes a great difference for something else. In the same way that if my teeth had not bit my tongue, it would have not impacted the way I'm speaking. I don't think, it's probably not even noticeable. But a little thing can have a great impact on something else. And I've been really blessed actually that some people have stepped up and, and doing little things then releases other things. And I know, again, John has asked again and again, to be very honest with you, like, are there people who can do these things, little things? But are we willing to just say, oh, I can do a little and be willing to be used by God more and more? Because maybe if you do a little, then God will entrust you with something greater. So what's our response? I don't know what you think. We are family. Does that resonate with you? Do you identify with this? And what's your part? Because are you committed to meeting together? Are you committed to saying, you know what, when family meets, I'm going to be there, that's my priority. I make a commitment to that. As I say, there are times it won't happen. But if you start off with 
there are times it won't happen, then it won't happen. If you start off with, I'm going to make every effort to be there, it more often than not will happen. Will you choose to love this family even when it's hard? Because there are days when it's easy to love people and there are days when it's hard. And that's why love is a choice. Pray for one another. If you find someone difficult, pray for them. It's amazing how it changes your heart towards that person. Not pray against them, pray for them. Pray that God will bless them, God will meet them, God will speak to them, because then your heart is for them and not against them. Will you serve those around you, even if it might mean sacrifice? One of the prayers that Jesus prayed was that we would be one as the Father is one. So this was such an important expression of oneness, that we are one as he is one. And I'm going to end with something that you might hate me for forever. But I, I, I want you to stand. See, that's the, that's the easy bit. And I want you to hold hands. And, and we don't normally do this in this church, so if you are visiting, I don't know if we've got any visitors but we don't normally do this, so don't worry. But it's a symbol of our unity. I've got a prayer that I, I put together, and I've called it a prayer of unity. It is a quick prayer. And so I'm going to read it. I want you to repeat after me. It says, Dear Jesus, you are our Prince of Peace, and you prayed for unity in the body of Christ that we may be united in love just as you are, united in love with the Father. Give us your children the desire to love one another as you have loved us. Give us a heart to serve one another just as you gave yourself for the church. May we be committed to encouraging one another when we gather and to endeavour to strengthen the bonds of unity within this church. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dan. Let's not do that for another year at least, Dan, shall we? No, it's good. It's good for us to um, bless you, Daniel. <laughs>